Daniel chapter 10, looking at the entirety of the chapter this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 748. I've entitled today's message, Be of Good Courage. As always, I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we'll commence our study together. Let's pray now. Lord, once more we have gathered together as believers to worship you in spirit and in truth. We've come to offer songs of praise to you, to bow before you in prayer, to listen to your word as it's read to us, and now to study your word for the purpose of making application of it to our lives. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would come, that he would minister to our spirits during this time. We pray that he would work the truths of today's text into our hearts, that he would help this passage to become a part of us, that it would shape the way that we look at reality and that it would shape the way that we conduct our Christian lives. We pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. So the book of Daniel goes to great lengths to establish the sovereignty of God over all things. We find this, for example, in the numerous direct statements of the book, like this one found in chapter 2. It says, Blessed be the name of God forever. To Him belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and mysterious things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. So God is in control of all events, macro and micro. We also see God's sovereignty asserted in all of the prophecies of the book. So as God, through his angels and through his prophets, gives us these detailed sequences of events related to the future, we see how God is in control of all history. We also see God's sovereignty in all those places of the book where he is working behind the scenes through his providence to work his will. For example, we see David, or excuse me, Daniel captured as a young teenager, sent off into captivity, but then through the providence of God, he becomes one of the most powerful men in all the Babylonian empire. That is God's doing. He is working his plans in and through the course of world events. So the book is clear from beginning to end that our God is sovereign. And yet, friends, do not think that God's sovereignty means that he is unopposed. No, God has many enemies, and he is opposed on many different fronts. He is opposed by earthly adversaries, like the Egyptian pharaoh and the kings of Babylon. But there are also spiritual adversaries. God's chief spiritual foe is the one called the devil, or Satan. In fact, the word Satan literally means adversary. And where does Satan come from? Well, according to the scriptures, he was once an angel of God, created in holiness like all of God's other creatures. But of his own free will, he fell from his holy state, and now he is confirmed in evil. And in his state of evil, the devil, Satan, opposes God 
on every front. Scriptures teach that he works to counterfeit God's work, that he incites persecution against God's people, that he tempts people to sin, and that he deceives the nations. And what's worse is that the devil also has a host of fallen angels called demons who work under his authority to to continuously undermine God's plans. Along with the devil, these demons promote spiritual rebellion, idolatry, and false doctrines in the world. They derange human minds. They incite violence. They promote doctrinal errors and cultivate personal conflicts. They even work to hinder the gospel's advance. And friends, though we cannot see or hear the devil and his hosts, yet they are as real as God is. They're as real as we are. And the spiritual conflict is as real as any earthly conflict that we have witnessed. Friends, sometimes the scriptures will draw the curtains back for us and allow us to see the unseen world so that we might see the spiritual conflicts that are going on around us. God wants us to understand that reality is bigger than just what we can perceive with our five senses. Daniel chapter 10 is one of those scriptural passages that does this for us. Here in Daniel 10, God peels back the curtain, allows us to see the world of angels and demons to see the spiritual conflict that was at work in Daniel's day and how it was impacting earthly life for Daniel and the nations around him. God wanted Daniel to understand the full scope of reality, and he wants us to understand it as well. And I believe God also wants us to know reality so that we can better persevere in our faith. You see, once we know the full scope of our spiritual conflict, the, the unseen as well as the seen, then we are in a better position to know how to, to persevere in the faith through it. And so let's work through this chapter together with these thoughts in mind. And as always, we begin with the historical setting. And here in verse 1, Daniel shares the year when he began receiving these new revelations. He says he began receiving them in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Okay, so that would set the date for these revelations at 536 B.C. 536 B.C. That's about two years after the events of chapter 9. And it's also after the Israelites began returning to the Holy Land. So by now, that 70-year captivity has passed The decree has been issued for the Jews to return to their homeland, and the first wave of them is making their way home. By this point, Daniel himself is in his mid to late 80s. Daniel will never return back to Israel. He's going to die in Babylon, but he at least gets to see the promises of God being fulfilled, and he sees his fellow Israelites going back home. So that's the time period when these new revelations come to Daniel. He also shares a few details about the revelations themselves. First of all, from verse 1, he tells us that the word was true. In other words, we're going to see all kinds of fascinating images in this chapter. They're going to seem almost fantastical in nature. 
Daniel wants us to understand that what we will see and hear in this chapter is reality. These are real beings, real events. These are real truths that we should cling to. Second detail he gives us in verse 1, he says, it was a great conflict or it, it concerned a great conflict. And as we go through chapters 10, 11, and 12 together, we'll see this is indeed the case. There is a cosmic battle going on in these passages, which spans from Daniel's own day right through to the end of the age. There's a conflict that will involve earthly forces, individuals, and nations, but also Satan and all of his hosts. These revelations concern a a tremendous, tremendous conflict. Another detail found in verse 1, he says the vision is understandable. It's understandable. So yes, everything that we'll see over the course of these three chapters, they are mesmerizing images, the the details of the conflicts, they are remarkable to study. But Daniel wants us to know that these are also easy to comprehend. We can take them at just straightforward face value. And then a fourth detail, this is contained in verse 2, we find these new revelations were given to Daniel at a time of spiritual distress. Look what the verse says. He says, In those days, in other words, in the days when I received these new revelations, I was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So I think this is what's happening here. Um, The... The Israelites are beginning to return to the promised land, and this once again puts Daniel in a very emotional state. He is thinking about his fellow Israelites. He's worried about them. He's especially concerned about their spiritual state. He wants to make sure when they finally resettle in the promised land that that they're settling on the right foot, that things are not going to be like they were last time around. And so in this state, he needs to spend some extra time with God. So he is mourning, mourning for all the losses that his people have experienced, mourning over their sins. And now he says, verse 3, he's also fasting. And then in verse 12, he'll say he was praying. It's interesting to note what Daniel is fasting from in verse 3. It says, he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth. You recall at the start of the book, when Daniel was a teenager, brought into Babylon in captivity, he was offered meat and wine from the king's own table. He refused on grounds of conscience. Well, it appears later in life that was not the case. He did eat meat and wine. He says here he was just fasting from those things for three weeks. So what was going on here? Well, I think back when Daniel was a teenager and and in those early days of captivity, he had no power over the food presented before him. So, when he was a teenager, the meat and the wine coming to him had been offered to idols. Daniel's conscience would not allow him to partake of that meat. He thought he would be participating in idolatry, so he refused. He stuck with a vegetarian diet. Later in life, though, as he has climbed the ladder in Babylon, he's now in a great position of power. He has control over the preparation of the food that he receives. Now he's able to receive meat and wine that has not been offered to idols. He can eat it with a clear conscience. So Daniel's problem was not with meat and wine per se. It was in how it was prepared or whether or not it was associated with idolatry. 
So there was a time when he was a vegetarian, then he had control over his uh, food so he could eat the, the meat and the wine. But now, here in the third year of Cyrus, as the Jewish people are returning to the homeland, and he is in a state of mourning, and he wants to pray for his people, he goes into a state of fasting and prayer. He stops eating, stops drinking these delicacies once more. He also says he stopped anointing himself for those three weeks. That probably refers to a perfumed oil, like comparable to what cologne, uh, what men would wear today, cologne. Um, He's simply saying here he gave up all of the creature comforts when he went to God in fasting and prayer. Verse 12 tells us that it was in this state of things that an angel came to Daniel and offered these new revelations. And friends, this is significant because once more we are reminded that God hears the prayers of his people. That's what's going on here. Daniel is spiritually distressed. He's so distressed, he's withholding food, all creature comforts. That's his way of saying, God, you are the most important thing to me right now. My spiritual requests, more important than food, more important than drink. I'm skipping those. I'm just going to talk to you until this prayer is answered. And God saw the sincerity of Daniel's heart. He saw his faith. He saw his concern for his fellow Israelites. And and God was moved by the prayers of Daniel. And God responded to those prayers. God always responds to the prayers of his people. When you go to God in faith and repentance, you go to him confessing sin, pleading for his good work in your life and in the lives of others, God in his grace will come to you. He will minister comfort to you. He will use your prayers to accomplish his good purposes. God has willed that he should use our prayers for his purposes. Let us then redouble our efforts in prayer. Well, now we turn to verses 4 through 21. This gives us the, the um, vision itself. What exactly was Daniel permitted to see? Let's look, verse 4. He says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, okay? So Daniel, he lived in the city of Babylon, but for his fasting and prayer, he's gone out to the banks of the Tigris River. It's about 20 miles removed, okay? So again, he's, he's getting away from everything, away from city life, away from job responsibilities, having a spiritual retreat, asking God to answer his prayers. And while he is doing this, God comes, verse 5, He says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. And his body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude." So Daniel is fasting, and he is praying, and he is is pleading with God to, to intervene on his behalf. And suddenly, 
flash of brilliant light fills the scene, and he looks up to see what it is, and there above him, in fact, chapter 12 makes clear that, that this being is floating there above the Tigris River. He looks, and hovering above the river, there is this figure of a man. We know it wasn't a mere man, because mere men do not hover above rivers. This is something very different. And mere men do not have this appearance. In fact, it's clear that while he is called a man, it means he is a man in appearance only. He has the the basic outlines of a man. But in every other way, he is quite different. He uh, He is clothed in white linens. This signifies the holiness of the being. He's wearing a belt of gold. This signifies his royal authority. It says his body was like beryl. Now, beryl is a precious stone. It looks like transparent gold. When light shines through it, it's absolutely brilliant. That's what his body looked like. And then he had a face like lightning, eyes like torches, arms and legs like polished bronze. I think all of these descriptions emphasizing the power and authority of this being. So then the big question is, who was Daniel seeing? Who is this great being? Well, my friends, it was not an angel. It was not an angel. Not this time, at least. You see, no angel ever gets described like this in Scripture. Never. And beyond that, We're going to see in a few verses Daniel's reaction to this being. And Daniel's reaction is not like anything that mirrors his reaction to angels. Daniel has seen angels before. He doesn't respond the way he does here. This is not an angel. So then who is it? We only have one option left. This is the Son of God himself. A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, you understand that, that Jesus' conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that did not mark the beginning of his existence. You understand that. The scriptures teach that, that Christ is the eternal Son of God, second member of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He has always existed and will Exist. The scriptures tell us that Christ was the agent through whom God created the universe. And so he predated his conception and birth. And once in a while, on very rare occasions in the Old Testament era, the eternal Son of God would visibly manifest himself to his people. And that's what we have here. He has not yet taken on a human nature, but he comes in the appearance of a man and he hovers above the Tigris River and presents himself before Daniel. My friends, we can be absolutely certain that this is Christ, not only by the description here, but also by the description found in Revelation chapter 1. Here John explicitly tells us that he is seeing Jesus Christ. And listen to his description, Revelation 1.12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe, 
and a golden sash around his chest. His hair, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. The apostle John saw the same being that Daniel saw. The description's the same. The long linen robe, the belt or the sash of gold, the, the burnished bronze of his arms and his legs, the voice, which Daniel says was like a, a, the voice of a multitude. John says it was like the roar of waters, but the same concept. You see, Daniel was getting a glimpse of the Son of God. Daniel sees him in his heavenly glory before the incarnation. John sees Jesus in his heavenly glory after the incarnation. They both see the same person. My friends, this image seriously challenges the popular image of Jesus in our culture. And you know the Jesus I'm talking about, the the pale, weak, effeminate Jesus, the one that you see in those portraits where his, his skin is so white and his eyes are a pale blue and he's got the flowing feminine hairstyle. It takes away our image of the liberal, woke Jesus. No, he is not like that. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. In fact, even during his years on earth, Jesus was not like that. The scriptures teach us that during his earthly life, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. That meant he was a strong man, and his skin was dark from all of those hours in the sun. And the scriptures tell us that when Jesus preached to the multitudes, by the way, that alone shows his physical stamina, but when he preached to the multitudes, the audiences would listen with mouths dropped, just in amazement at the authority of his words. Jesus would stare his religious opponents in the face and say, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. One time the scriptures say Jesus was in the temple and he saw the money changers out in the temple courtyard and he was so offended by all of this money making in a place of worship that he ran in there, threw the tables over, created a, 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 a whip made of cords, started whipping people in the temple and drove them all out single-handedly. Jesus was no weakling. And that was him during his earthly ministry. And now in Daniel 10 and in Revelation 1, we see Jesus in his heavenly glory, even far more spectacular than that. My friends, this, this is what Christ is really like. This is the Jesus who exists not the Jesus that our culture has fashioned to domesticate him. And this is the version of Jesus that all people will one day stand before to receive their final judgment. You and I will one day see what Daniel saw. And he will be there on his throne, and we will be at the base of it, waiting to receive our reward or our condemnation from him. My friends, in presenting himself to Daniel here at the very beginning of these final revelations, I think what, what the Son of God is doing is just reminding Daniel, and by extension reminding us, of who is really in control of history. 
Because you see, over these next three chapters, there's going to be very detailed uh, descriptions of what is to come. What was both in Daniel's future and some that's in our future. And some of the images presented in these last three chapters are very frightening. There are images of, of angels and demons locked in battle. There, there are depictions of wars, of, of great calamities. There is this figure called Antichrist who wages great persecution against the saints of God. And, and as you go through those chapters, they could be very, very frightening to you. They would have been very frightening to Daniel. And so, to set us to set us in a right frame of mind before all that imagery is presented to us. The Son of God makes an appearance and He shows Himself in His heavenly glory and He says, you're about to receive a lot of stuff that could be frightening, but don't forget, I am the one who's telling you all of this. I am the one who is in control. Look at my appearance. Hear my voice. See my power and know Know that everything will work according to my good purposes. Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. And I say, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. By standing there before Daniel in this manner, he was declaring that. Now we come to verses 7 to 9. Notice Daniel's reaction to what he has seen. Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but, the great, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. Verse 8, So I was left alone and saw this great vision, just the Son of God and Him, face to face. And he says, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So, standing before the Holy Son of God, Daniel tells us, he just melted like microwave butter. He was done. <laughs> He sees the Son of God, and he is flat on his face, out cold. Friends, one day we will all have this experience with the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2 says, One day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For some, they will bow in Fearful joy, recognizing this is the Son of God, but He redeemed me. He redeemed my life. I'm His. And they'll bow in reverence, but in great happiness to finally see the one who bought them. But then, friends, others will bow in fearful dread because they will look at this figure standing up above them, or seated on his throne before them, and they're going to say, this is the one that I rejected my entire life. This is the one whose words I treated as nothing. This is the one that I rejected in favor of my sin. They're going to look at the Son of God in his glory, and they are going to bow because there's nothing else they can do. But what 
a horrific experience it will be. My friend, if you've been keeping the Lord Christ at arm's length, will you not receive him now? Will you not see him here in Daniel 10 in all of his glory? See, this is the Son of God, not the cultural image that you've seen, but this is the real Jesus Christ. He is powerful. He stands above all as sovereign and one day as judge. This is also the one who gave up his heavenly glory for a season, added a human nature to his divine nature, became the God-man and dwelt among us. This is the one who endured decades of mistreatment at the hands of sinners. This is the one who voluntarily went to the cross, took upon his shoulders the guilt that we all bear because of our sins. Here's the one who endured hell that we might know heaven. Here's the one who died and then rose again the third day in power and glory and offers forgiveness to us if we will only receive it. And friend, if you say, I would like to look at Christ that way, I would like, I would like to be inclined to come to him in faith, but I just can't, there are things holding me back, then can I suggest this? Just go to God in prayer anyway and beg him to change your heart. Just say, God, I, I want your son to be appealing. I want my life without him to look ugly to me. Please, please do that in my heart. That's a prayer that God will answer. He will change your heart. He will give you a new love for his son. He will help you to not only see and understand the glory of his son, but also to find him desirable that you might come to him in repentant faith. Go to God in prayer and ask him for that. Friends, now we come to verses 10 through 21. Now Daniel's in a deep sleep, and here uh, uh, the vision proper comes to him. And a new being also enters the scene. This one is an angel. So let's look at verse 10. It says, And behold, a hand touched me. Okay, So Son of God presented himself. Daniel fell down, passed out. Now the, uh, now the Son of God departs. A new being has come, an angel. He touches Daniel as he's lying flat on the ground. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So now he's partially up. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 12, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So the Son of God appeared so we would know who is in control of all history as it begins to, to be laid out in the final chapters of this book. But that scene of, of, of Christ, it was too much for Daniel. He collapses and goes into a deep sleep. So the Son of God departs. Now an angel appears, gets Daniel back up on his feet, says, Daniel, don't be afraid. That being that looks so terrifying to you, he loves you. He wants you to have courage. He's going to tell you about the future so that you can be strengthened for the days ahead. See, God loves his people. God has a special concern for them. 
special concern for their well-being. And this angel, by the way, though not mentioned by name, was probably the angel Gabriel. That's the angel that Daniel had seen in chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's the angel that we learned last week is God's special messenger. Whenever there's an important message to deliver from God, Gabriel seems to be the one to do it. I believe Gabriel has come back. Now we come to verses 13 to 14. Here's where we read some of the most fascinating words in all of Scripture. Look what the angel says. In fact, let me go back to verse 12. It says, Then he, then he the angel, said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. I've come because of your words. Verse 13, The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Who is that? That's a demon called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He withstood me, the angel Gabriel, 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the chief of the angels, he came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Incredible, right? So Gabriel says, verse 12, Daniel, I want you to know that from the minute you started Fasting and praying, God dispatched me to come deliver a message to you from the first moment. But you've been praying and fasting for three weeks. Why did it take me three weeks to get to you? He says, it's because I was detained by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. I was sent immediately, Daniel, but for three weeks, I was locked in a contest with demonic power, and I could not prevail. And that's what kept me away from you. And then he says, finally, I did prevail, but not by myself. I was helped by Michael. Now, Jude 9 tells us that Michael is an archangel. That means he's the chief angel. Daniel 10.21 also suggests that Michael may have had a special interest in the Israelites. So God dispatched Gabriel to deliver a message to Daniel. It was delayed for three weeks because of a conflict with a demon, the prince of Persia. He only prevailed after receiving help from another good angel, Michael, and now he finally has made it to Daniel to deliver the message. My friends, spiritual warfare is real. It's real. The devil is real. Angels are real. Demons are real. The contest between them is real. We cannot see it. We can't hear it. We can't sense it. But it's real. Their battle is just as real as any battle that we can witness here on earth. And their battle is for the hearts and minds of people and nations. And their battle against the church of Christ is a real battle. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, quote, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
You see, friends, the turmoil that faces the world today, when you look at it and you see the wars and conflicts and random shootings and acts of terrorism and and all of the horrors that make up the world today, when you look at the senseless persecution against the church the world over, and you ask yourself, why is this happening? It makes no sense makes no sense because you don't see all of reality with your eyes. There are angels and demons locked in conflict. There are princes of nations that we cannot see influencing leaders, influencing peoples, battling for hearts and minds. I wonder how much of the turmoil we see in the world today is owing to demonic influence. There was a prince of Persia. I wonder if there is also a prince of America. Would not surprise me. World's greatest superpower. Would not the devil have an interest in what happens in this land? Well, friends, in light of all of this, what should we do? What can we do? Well, back to Ephesians 6. Back to the passage our brother read earlier in the service. Here's what we do. We take up the full armor of God. Listen to what Paul writes. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and after you've done all to stand firm. And then he gives us our armaments. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplications. See, we're in a spiritual battle, so we need spiritual armaments. And there they are. The armaments of truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace and the new birth and the word of God, and prayer. These are the armaments that we have been given, and with these we will prevail. Returning now to Daniel chapter 10, looking at verses 15 to 17, we find this is all more than Daniel can take. He's seen the Son of God. He has heard about a a spiritual conflict beyond the realm of his five senses. He can't take all of this. Look what he says. When he, the angel, had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. This is the angel again. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord... Notice lowercase l. This is just a term of respect for the angel. O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me. No breath is left in me. He's saying, angel, this is too much. Too much. How how am I supposed to, to process what you're telling me? You're telling me about angels and demons and spiritual warfare that I can't even see. What am I to do with this? Verses 18 to 21, we have the angel's response. Having one, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. The angel again. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me 
Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece, another demon, will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There's none who contends by my side except thee, against these except Michael, your prince, your guardian angel. So the angel says to Daniel in response to all he's witnessed, Daniel, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. God loves you. God would have you to be brave. He would have you to fulfill your ministry. So get up to your feet. Listen to the words that I have to say to you. They are words of truth. And then go do your task. Friends, the word of God would say the same to us. Be not afraid no matter what the forces against you may be. You stand up, you put on the armor of God, you fulfill your ministry and trust in the sovereignty of God. Well, chapters 11 through 12, Gabriel will finally provide Daniel with a detailed prophecy extending from his own life to the end of the world. We'll look at those in coming weeks. For now, simply remember these truths. The Son of God is unimaginably glorious, certainly worthy of your worship and your trust. Know that He loves you, that He would have you to be strong, that He's given you all the resources you need to be strong in this present darkness. Also know that spiritual warfare is real, but God will have the victory, and you, you will share in His victory in the end. And so armed with the full armor of God, we can stand against anything with no fear. Now let us pray together. Father, we thank You for this passage One of the most fascinating passages in the scriptures is that veil is pulled back and we're able to see the spiritual conflict that is taking place around us. It was true of Daniel's day, certainly it is true of our day, this battle for hearts and minds. Lord, help us to stand strong, help us to stay close to you, help us to commit ourselves to truth and righteousness, to your word and to prayer. This is all that we need to prevail. Lord, help us to prevail in this battle. Would you draw those to faith in your Son who have never come to Him before? Might they take hold of the new spiritual life you provide? Might they then be be prepared for what would befall them in this present darkness? Lord, we pray that you would again come, that you would come quickly. We pray that you would bring to a consummation your great plans for history, that you would glorify yourself as you do so. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.